lovely listeners and welcome to another one in our series of financial well-being podcast my name is david lloyd actor writer broadcaster just general layabout increasingly these days and i'm joined by my two good buddies chris budd and tom morris tom tell us a little bit about yourself if you would yeah i am a director and charter financial planner over at ovation finance we are a financial planning business based in Bristol. So if you want to have a chat about your financial planning or any of the things that we discuss in this podcast, just give us a shout. Go onto our website, ovationfinance.co.uk. Contact details there. Find me on Twitter, at Ovation Tomo. The end of the Ovation plug is now. Uh, except I'm going to add to it slightly because I am a client of Ovation Finance and they do an absolutely brilliant job. Yes, I'm biased, but yes. It's true. Now we come to the main event, the guy that wrote the book on which all of these podcasts are based, the Financial Wellbeing book. Big build up, please, for Chris Budd. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. All right, um, then. Who are you, Chris? <laughs> That's better. Uh, so Chris Budd, I, uh, as David said, wrote the Financial Wellbeing book and a few other books as well. Just type my name into Amazon and all my books are there, including my latest novel. Cue for David to say he hasn't got around to reading it yet. I haven't got around to reading it yet. Thank you. <laughs> I never will. But no, I hear it's really enough. good. You don't read books, Tom, do you? That's fair. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I, I read children's books all day, every day, it feels at times. But um, that's about my level anyway. So. so, Chris, what are we looking at today? Today, we have an interview with certified financial planner Eric Roberge, who is in Boston, Lovely, lovely guy. He's helped me out with uh, somebody in America and I, he did such a cracking job. And I think he's got a really interesting take on financial planning. So we're going to hear from him. Excellent. I did want to check that it was Boston in the US, not Boston in Lincoln. Yes, so yes, got good my point. Geography right. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, so we're going global today. I love the fact of how many places in America are named after English, British places. And my, my favourite, which we will all know very well, because it's just down the road from us, is Philadelphia which is actually a tiny village just outside Bath, Somerset. I think that's fabulous. Amazing. Amazing. Very cheesy, very cheesy. Oh. <laughs> Before we move on to that, let's go with the first of our two features, uh, No Shizzle Sherlock. This is a newish feature in which we listen to the words of wisdom from a financial or investment guru and wonder whether this is indeed insightful and meaningful advice or whether it's a load of old toot. So, Chris... What's today's inspirational investment insight? I thought this episode, David, we might see what wisdom we can glean from TikTok. Ah, right. OK, well, uh, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to contribute too much to this. I am a, a increasingly less frequent user of Twitter. Uh, I occasionally use Facebook to contact distant relatives. I've got an Instagram account. But I don't know how it works. I've never been on TikTok. <laughs> Well, it's the new thing, David. I'm not on TikTok, but I hear it's all the rage and can be quite good fun. But there seems to be quite a few investment. You won't see this in the podcast, air quote, gurus on there. But really, it should be air quote, unqualified gurus. So, yeah, that might give you an idea of what I think to a lot of what's going on. So I think we can see shouldn't be given. We, we can have early guess about whether this is going to be a no shizzle Sherlock or not. <laughs> so, Chris, you're down with the kids. Tell us a bit more about these TikTok videos. <laughs> well, let's as, as Tomo says, there's quite a lot of financial, so to speak, experts on TikTok. And let's take one example of a video from a TikToker. Is that the right phrase? A YouTuber. Yeah, why not? 
you are YouTubers, so TikTok. TikTok sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so I'm not going. I'm not going to mention this person's name because I think this is pretty pretty appalling what they're saying. So she's got some three hundred and sixty thousand followers, right? And in her most popular video, she described something called short selling, which is basically gambling on whether a stock goes down or up. Get it right, you make money. Get it wrong, and you can lose money. Now, in this video, she describes short selling by using a can of Guinness to represent a particular share in a company and sweets or candies, as she calls them, because she's American, to represent money. So what she does is she borrows the can of Guinness from someone, the share, and she sells it for 20 sweets. OK, then she waits until the price drops to only five sweets. Then she buys the can back and then it gives it back to whoever she borrowed it from, keeping a profit of 15 sweet. She has literally made money out of nothing. Easy, right? Well, easy if the price goes down. But what if the price doesn't drop? What if it goes up? Exactly. If the price went up, whoever loaned her the can is still going to want it back. But she doesn't have enough money to buy it back. So she's going to have to borrow the money to buy it back and so get into debt. Now, obviously, that isn't mentioned in the video. Um, I'm going to be a little bit cynical here. Um. This doesn't count for everybody because there are some really good accounts that are actually giving some good education. But an awful lot of YouTubers and TikTokers like this aren't generally interested in investment and, and giving sound investment advice, perhaps. They make money from by promoting the apps that people would use to buy the shares in the first place. They're also not regulated and can say anything they want without actually taking any risk. Well, my experience of short selling, actually, if we're talking specifically about that issue, is that many years ago now, my uh, my late wife, bless her, we, we, she had a little windfall. It was £9,000. And she said, I know what we should do with this. Uh, there's this thing called short selling. I met this guy and he's going to give us good advice and we can make a whole load of money on this by, by, by doing this. So I said, well, it's your money. You know, if, if you think that's a good idea, let's do it. Within two weeks, all that money had gone. Wow. every single penny and i never understood every morning this guy would ring up uh, and say okay today we're going to go short on this we're going to go long on this he would waffle away for five minutes and i never understood a single word that he said but i kind of assumed that my wife did uh, but bless her she was quite poorly at the time she didn't really understand it anyway and the upshot of all of that was within two weeks we lost nine thousand pounds so uh, I think this is really, really good advice. And it's not uh, to denigrate TikTok or any of those platforms, but do make sure you understand what you're talking about. and Don't just take it for granted because somebody yeah. said it on social media. Amen. And remember, it's not personalised advice to you. And they're often not qualified or regulated. And of course, I'm going to say go and speak to somebody who actually is qualified and regulated because that's what I am. And I appreciate there is some bias in my view here. But investing should be boring and not akin to gambling. So yeah. if I can leave that message with you. That's brilliant. And I would hasten to add as well, at the time at which we lost that £9,000, I was not under the financial advice of Ovation Finance. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm sure I would have been told not to touch it with a barge pole. Right. Uh, I don't think that this is going to be a no-shizzle Sherlock and more like a no-way Jose as far as we're concerned. So putting that one aside, then let's go on to our main event in terms of our uh, regular features, tight ass 
Tobo. Chris, have you got anything? Yeah, we've actually got one from Eric, our guest today. Um, I asked him if he would come along with his own Titus Tomo tip, and he brought us this one. Okay. Um, well, so my wife and I used to live right in Boston. Company's still located in Boston, but we don't necessarily live there full-time anymore. But when we were there after work, we realized that there were plenty of wine shops throughout the city. And most of these wine shops would do free wine tastings. So on a Friday afternoon, we would leave work. And instead of going where everybody else went to restaurants and, and getting appetizers and easily spending 50, 100 US dollars, we would run through the wine shops, get you know free wine and cheese and crackers and whatever else they had on the board, socialize with the people there and get home. And a couple hours later, feeling really good, <laughs> you know, full of, of, um, of food and having not spent a dime. We did it every Friday. It was an unbelievable way to, to enjoy ourselves. That Tom, is I'm, right out of the Tom Morris playbook. <laughs> that one. He is a man after my own heart. I need to meet this chap. I need to meet him. <laughs> Wonderful. That is, yeah, that is tight. I love it. Good on you, Eric. I've got one. And it's a kind of amplification on what I did rather jokingly a while back when I finally reached state pension age. And I just, well, get old because then you get free money off the government. And I'd just like to continue that one as well. So uh, I've just had my winter fuel payment. I mean, it's only 200 quid, so it's not exactly a fortune. Free money. I love it. So, yeah, continue to get old. And also, also, I've just wound up my company. I had an independent company. And I've wound it up because I, I still work, but I don't put much through the books anymore. And it was just a bit of a waste of time and money. And for years and years and years, I've been self-employed. And so I've been paying tax on account. So a couple of years ago, I paid tax on account for this year. But actually, it's turned out I haven't earned any money this year. So I've had a tax rebate. Wow. £1,200. Woohoo! So, uh, I am, and it's coming up to Christmas, so I'm very happy. So... So well, hang on a second, hang on a second. So you're going to save half of it yes. and you're going to blow half of it, which was something, a tip of yours you in the last episode. And, and it was indeed. And do you know what? That's exactly what I've done. I've put half of it in my savings account and the rest is going to go on. I don't know what, but we'll have some fun. Fabulous. Love it. Right, Tomo, what's your tip then? Well, my tip is uh, not as not as fun as Eric's, actually. Or if anyone listened to la last the last episode, my dodgy golf T-shirt, this was passed on by my father actually and it's something called kids pass and uh, he was put onto this uh, it's an app you just literally type in kids pass and it comes up it's like a little orange icon it says kids pass and it's terrific i've been having a look through and it is a, a great centralized place for tons of discounts on days out cinema all that sort of thing and there's some stuff about shopping but if we if we focus on Seems some stuff on holidays here. But if we focus on what's a really great way of spending your money to increase your well-being is two things. Spending money on experiences and spending money on others. So this could be spending money on an experiences with your family at days out, but you get a discount along the way. So kids pass. Oh, that was brilliant. And um, he's actually sent me some other discount tips that I shall share in future podcasts. So Cheers, Dad. Good work. And and just, I think it's important to point out, we're not getting paid by Kids Pass to say that. No, it's no, just no, no. We don't get paid by any, 
about YouTubers and TikTokers, you know. <laughs> no, I promise we don't get paid a cent. Having Ooh. said that, we are open to it. <laughs> yes, well. let's have a bit more bribery on this podcast. <laughs> Right, enough of the levity. Chris, tell us about what we're going to listen to next. Eric Roberge is the founder of a financial planning company in Boston, America. His company is called Beyond Your Hammock, and he's very much our kind of financial planner. We talk a lot on this podcast about happiness and the theories of relationship to money, but every once in a while, it's good to hear from a top-draw financial planner who gives tips for our listeners about creating their own clear path to identifiable objectives. So let's hear from Eric. So, uh, Eric, good afternoon. Or, well, afternoon for me. Is it afternoon with you yet in Boston? It's nine minutes afternoon, yes. I was thinking, what do I know about Boston? There's something called the Red Sox, but I don't know what it is. Uh, there's <laughs> Cheers. Um, that was set in Boston, wasn't it? And, and I think Harvard University is there. I got that right? That's how we get over here, yes. Nailed all three of them. What else do we know about Boston? Well, the Boston Bruins uh, hockey team is, is my favorite go-to. We've got the New England Patriots who don't, in Boston, but they're close enough. Yeah. And just a fantastic, small, walkable city to enjoy great food, great history, great views. What's the food of Boston? Seafood. Okay. Um, I'd say you get a nice lobster roll here um, or boiled lobster if you like that and and clams and, and different things from the ocean. I mean, that's that's the go-to in Boston. That's your thing. Fantastic. Well, a little bit of a tourist information for people who want to visit Boston then. Is there a Cheers bar somewhere? There is a Cheers bar. There's actually the original one where they filmed the, the show, and there's also a spin-off, just you know, replica of the bar as well. Yeah, we've just lost 50% of our audience below the age of 45 there, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, look, Eric, um, you're a practicing financial planner. I wonder if you can just give us a, a potted history and just, just let us know a little bit about yourself before we get into the, the detail. Yeah, I mean, the, the finance industry has always intrigued me. So ever since I was in college and had free Wall Street Journal uh, newspapers outside of my dorm room, I loved the reading about investments and really getting involved in money and personal finance and, and making good decisions. For myself, my mom always said, don't get credit card debt, right? Always be spending within your means. And that was information that I took with myself throughout my life and also delivered to my clients now. Um, I've been probably doing this for 13 years now as a financial advisor. And although there's so many types of financial advisors and so many avenues to go down and so many topics to cover, I've really honed in on focusing on the, the intersection of money and life and how to make your money work for you now and also be responsible about building wealth and financial freedom for the future. So we are working with people in their 30s and 40s that are making um, in, in American dollars, you know, 300 to $800,000. So good income, but don't come from wealth. But we want to grow their wealth through their great income, but also allow them to enjoy themselves along the way so we don't have to postpone our enjoyment Till an age down the road where we may not even be healthy enough to do so. Yeah, I, I just um, curious, I and mean, this is a bit of a leading question, possibly. But uh, you said you got into all of this because as a young man you were interested in money. I'm wondering how much you've come to realize by what you've just described that it's not actually about the money at all. It's exactly right, uh, because people often make decisions based on money or what they perceive money can get them. But what they don't do is touch on their values and what they really enjoy in life and how money can support that, not the other way around. Yeah, 
yeah. So you're, you're a certified financial planner, little TM trademark in a circle above the P, um, which is, I think, pretty common in America. Not so common in the UK, not so well known by the public, certainly. I wonder if you could describe, uh, take us through the process of uh, being a certified financial planner. Sure. I mean, there are so many designations out there across the, the world. And in the United States, the certified financial planner is really the the designation you want to have if you're trying to help people comprehensively with their money. So what I mean by that is the education process for the CFP is pretty rigorous. It's college-level courses on cash flow management, investment, insurance, taxes, estate planning, retirement, and really helping people to learn what it takes to cover all facets of someone's potential financial life. And then once you take that test, which used to be about this, one of those stories of, I used to walk uphill both ways to school in, in a, you know, a snowstorm. <laughs> uh, it used to be, it used to be a 10 hour exam and you had to fill in the little bubbles with a pencil. Now it's about a three hour or five hour exam, um, but still pretty rigorous. And once you get through that, you forget most of what you learned, but then you take with you the, the most valuable things to help clients in the future. Yeah, I've I've always thought that it's uh you know it's it's up there as one of the one of the epitomes of financial planning. It's if I see somebody CFP, you okay, bit respect is due because it's not easy to get, is it? It's not. No, it took me you know it takes you probably a year's worth of classes if you want to go straight through, and then that that test is pretty pretty intense. You know, fifty to sixty percent pass rate I think was when we took it back in two thousand eleven. Yeah, so. Um, the CFP process is all about creating a financial plan. And um, I think it's fair to say that if you ask most people who'd been to a financial advisor, uh, show me the financial plan that you got from it, they wouldn't actually have anything to show. Um, there's no one document that summarizes a financial plan, but I think that's what you do produce for your clients with one of your programs. So I wonder if you could describe to me what you would think of as a financial plan, what would be the parts to it? Well, I'd say, firstly, uh, what I see as a financial plan is not necessarily a document, not that you know, etched in stone, here is your plan, don't deviate from it, but more so a gu guidelines, a framework to work within to make smart financial decisions, which means that it's a living, breathing document that evolves as your life undoubtedly does as we go into the future and take assumptions and make them actual facts. So when we're working with clients, we want to understand what their hopes and dreams are, what their values are, what their financial situation looks like now, and then start to build a plan that helps them move in a certain direction towards those things. And I specifically say in a certain direction towards those things, because it's really, you know, uh, a direct, like a north, south, east, and west. So we're moving northwest. We're not moving to a very specific point um, that we have exact instructions to go to get there. Because this year, we might say, the most important thing for me is growing wealth. Next year, we might have a child. And the most important thing for me is making sure my family has a nice home to live in. And then the year after that, you want to move companies and start your own business. So there's a lot of evolution in people's finances. So we want to take all of those things into mind, but don't make them rock solid in a way that has you feel like you're walking a tightrope in order to achieve the things that you said were important five years ago. Mm. 
There's um, the previous guest on this podcast, a fellow American, Carl Richards, who I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, there's a line of his that that I always, always, always credit people when you nick their ideas, um, which is uh, that he talks about the one thing we know for certain about a plan, financial plan is that it will be wrong. That's the only one thing you can guarantee about. It. And I've, I've always I've always liked that. I've always liked that. Uh, so what will be the if you could break it down to a process, what would for our listeners who might want to you know, very simply go through something themselves? What will be a, this staged process to coming up with this? Yeah, I think the first thing you want to do is to look at what you value. And, and it's really hard to understand values and how they're associated with money. But if you go to, uh, I think his name is James Clear. If you search James Clear values, I'm guessing you'll find a page of his that lists about 52 different potential values. It's not all encompassing, but it gives you a good starting point. And if you go through those and you identify five of those things that you most relate to, you're going to get a good understanding about what you value in life. So you have that down. Then you go back and you look at your current finances and you say, what does my balance sheet look like? Where is my money sitting in the bank? How much money might I have in retirement or pension type accounts? Do I have any debt? You know, establishing that balance sheet. And then you establish your cash flow, understanding your income, what comes in and where it comes from, and what goes out and what it's spent on. And really, that gives us a baseline for where you are today financially and some of the values that you're hoping to live out. And then you can look at some of the goals that you might want to put in place for the future, either you know, short term within a year or long term within 30 years. And you can start right then to build a plan. So that is baseline starting point. Does that make sense? It makes it sound so simple. <laughs> simple to then say, it, not so easy to do, is it, in practice? Right, right. But at least it gives you an understanding about, well, so how much money should I be saving every year? Do I need to aggressively pay down this debt? Because it's only then you can start to answer those questions. Otherwise, when someone asks you on the street, how much money should I save? The answer is always going to be, it depends. It depends on what you value. It depends on your goals. It depends on your finances. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've done what you said, and I've done jamesclear.com core values. Um, and I've looked at some of these core values and what you say about it's difficult to link some of these to money, like happiness, justice, knowledge, uh, leadership, religion, reputation. How can I, my financial plan help me achieve those things? And that's a really, I mean, one of the things that I've always said is that it's very hard to challenge your own assumptions. And I would imagine this is where the power of a good financial planner really comes in, is taking the values that you take from that list and applying them to your money. Is that where you come in? Yes, exactly. So, so for example, what we've done this, my, my wife and I have done this. And interestingly, it's really great to be able to do this with your spouse or a significant other. And you create your own set of values, right? Because they don't have to have the same exact values as the person you're with. And you get that list and you maybe compare them a little bit. And if they're all different, then you might want to think twice about living together. But <laughs> other, than, <laughs> other than that, you take those sets and you say, these are my personal values. And then what you do is say, let's develop a set of common values. And those common values might be actually different than the personal values that you have. And you can start to live out those values together. So one of the values that I have personally, and I think both Kaylee, my wife and I have together is freedom. Freedom to be able to choose how we live our life, regardless of what we're doing for a job that's making our income which means that we have to grow wealth in a way that allows us to be able to make choices 
unconnected to how much they're going to cost us. So if we have that as a goal, it's not a surprise that we would look at our savings as a very important thing every year. We want to save a certain level of income every single year to make sure that we can build more and more that freedom to choose as we live out our life. One that you mentioned just now was justice. First, uh, I've put in my head social justice, but I think you just said justice. That one may or may not relate to you personally, but what it could do is tell you where you'd like to give in your life to help others or more organizations or the world create more justice. So you'd say my charitable giving is going to be towards organizations that can help with the growth of justice in whatever area. So that helps you understand where you could produce change in other outside your own personal life um, down the road. So I'm curious, in America, uh, is or your financial plans, and maybe I shouldn't ask you to speak for your entire country, uh, in your financial <laughs> plans, is philanthropy and giving always part of your plan? Not always. Uh, it depends on the person. Certainly, it's, it's a nice-to-have thing, not something that everybody needs to do. But it's a topic you would always bring up as a potential to include in it, is it? It is. It is. Because not only is there impact to be made, but there's also tax benefits for doing so. So it's a win-win. Yeah, it's really interesting because I don't think it's very common in this in, in the UK to to raise it with a client as standard. Um, I think a client would probably have to raise it themselves for it to be discussed. Um, and given that it's such a large um, uh, contributor to well-being, I, I think that's a real growth area in the UK. Certainly, sounds like you're ahead of us on that in America. Hmm. Interesting. And you never want to make someone feel bad about whether they give or don't give the charities because I really don't care. I just want to make sure that they live out those values so we identify them as a possibility. Yeah, brilliant. Lovely. Um, okay, so so this is all about creating a financial plan to a, a, a future situation. Inevitably, that's what a plan is. Uh, do you think, and I'm asking this because I know you've written on this subject, do you think it's possible to envisage our future selves? It's really hard. Human beings are not built to put themselves in their future selves' shoes, and therefore it's very hard to be empathetic about your you know, 85-year-old self. What I think is, is interesting, and I was thinking about this question this morning, is how can you put yourself at least somewhat in your future self's shoes? And one thing that I think is a great way to do that is to look at your parents, understand where they are now, how happy or not they are, what their finances look like, what choices they made or didn't make, and how you could adapt and maybe improve on your own life based on learning from what they've done or haven't done. It's a very vivid way to see in real life, face-to-face, what your future self could look like if you made similar decisions. That's a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, okay, that, that's fantastic. That's a really good, really good tip. Thank you. Uh, so a lot of people will um, have spoken to a financial advisor. I know certainly I had a lot of experience with clients over the years who uh, never got the paperwork back or didn't get around to it or didn't sign up. And I'll find out a few years later, they didn't sign up to anybody. Uh, what are the main barriers, do you think, for people to taking action about their finances and about financial planning? A couple of things. One, it's the unknown about what financial planning is and how it could be valuable to your life. People know they have to make good decisions about money, but they don't necessarily know how someone else, a professional in this case, could help them do so. 
a lot of people out there are out for themselves, right? So advisors who are selling products and only products and don't care about how your life ends up with that product in hand, you may not want to throw yourselves to the wolves. So there's the trust level that is very important to establish with this person that you're going to just share all about your finances with and hope that they're going to put your best interest first. Um, the other one is that maybe you are just not in a good relationship with your money and you'd rather be ignorant about where your money goes than to hone in on the fact that you might be overspending in certain areas that you don't want to acknowledge for yourself. So that's a fascinating expression. You might not be in a good relationship with your money. Can you give some examples that you've seen of that that people might identify with who haven't previously realized that they're not in a good relationship with their money? Yeah, I mean, certainly like just just a shopping habit. A lot of times if people are online using Amazon or whatever online shopping website you you choose to use. It's it's Amazon, let's be honest. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's always Amazon. And you go there every day and you're doing things and you realize that what you're buying isn't really of value. And you look in your closet and you have boxes of things that you've not even opened yet from years ago that you've bought on Amazon. There's probably an issue there. There's probably the buying is not the case. You don't need to buy those things. It's a distraction from something else in your life that you've yet to deal with. Now this delves into you know, psychology and other things and I'm not a psychologist, but I could see sometimes in people that there's something else beyond finances that they have to deal with and take care of before they actually get serious about their money. So you never really know why or why not, but you can explore the conversation to understand what makes people tick and how to help influence them to make better financial decisions. Uh, and that's the key, isn't it? Because if you're buying stuff, you've got boxes, then, but, but you're actually quite happy because you're making good financial decisions, then it's whether it's a problem or not, isn't it, I guess. Although I suppose I think of Imelda Marcos and all her shoes, um, she still had enough money, but I don't think that was a good habit of hers. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did this myself. And um, I, I went to, in the summer, I went to watch uh, a cricket match in Bristol and it was it rained off. And on the way back, I stopped at a record shop and spent 50 quid and bought three records. And I got back in the car and I went, Oh God, I've just done it myself, haven't I? I was feeling fed up when I got and bought some records I didn't need. <laughs> yeah. So it's easy, it, it, it can happen very easily, can't it? It is. And in, in something like that, I mean, that's a small, small thing to do because you're not going to, you know, really destroy your financial life. But if you do it in the way of buying real estate, I'm going to buy this dream house of mine because I really want to have this place. But in reality, you're distracting yourself from other things in your life and you get this big house that just sucks all of your finances away and then destroys any other goals that you might have in the future. That's the biggest detriment that I see people making uh, on a normal basis. In a similar vein, I'm also thinking of uh, second homes that people often buy, uh, which they're buying because they think it's an investment, but of course the second home or spending money on holiday shouldn't be about investment. Do you see that one as well? I do. Yeah. I mean, you, you use it as under the guise of, well, it's an investment, but in reality, you just want to use it for, your own vacation, which is a great thing to do, but just don't kid yourself saying it's a good use of your money. It might be a good use for lifestyle spending, but if you're not buying it, renovating it, flipping it, or buying it and renting it out, it's not really an investment property at all. So that's, that, that gives me an idea 
good and bad uses of money where we're trying to promote the bad uses of money in the context of it's going to make you happy, but you think of it as it's against a conventional investment approach. Maybe how about that for a marketing campaign? Bad uses of your money. Right. Spend badly, but be happy doing so. Brilliant. I've just got to ask one last question. Why is your company called Beyond Your Hammock? Well, initially it was because every time that I would tell somebody that I'm a financial planner, they would come back with, ah, I know 10 people that do what you do. And they'd rattle off these companies that do nothing about what I do. So I needed them to come in fresh to ask the question about what I do so I can paint the picture from the ground up. Secondly, I think the word beyond is really important in that company name because we often try to go beyond societal norms in the conversations that we have with our clients so that people aren't necessarily just following the herd and doing what everybody else is doing with their life and their money. They're actually thinking deeply and trying to make decisions on their own and be unique. And then we can build a unique plan for them around what they want to do uh, instead of just saying, well, you know, my neighbor does X, so I'm going to do the same thing. Fantastic. Eric, this has been really insightful. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Great. Well, I really enjoyed that interview. And I think the point you made in your intro, Chris, is a very good one. I mean, we, we talk a lot about some of the concepts behind financial well-being and the feelings behind it. But what I really liked about that was that Eric did set them out in a very, very clear way. And I, I certainly echo his uh, his joy of Boston as a city. Uh, it's a It's a wonderful city. It's a good few years since I've been there, but a really, really great place. And as he said, sort of compact and walkable. So very, very good and very good to get his bits of advice. My big take from that is don't postpone your enjoyment of money. And I think that's really good advice from Eric. Now, I'm at the stage in my life now where I'm you know, heading towards retirement and you start to make those calculations that I probably couldn't do as a younger man, which is, well, hang on a minute, how long am I likely to live and how much money do I need to live the amount of time that I'm going to live for? And I'm now getting to the stage where I'm thinking, OK, well, I've got this pot of money. And, and is that going to be enough? And I'm still thinking it's probably not quite enough. But there is also a little bit of me that says, well, do you know what? I probably could spend some of that if I'm going to spend it on something that is going to give me pleasure and enjoyment. And so, in fact, as Tomo will know, because we've just had the conversation, you know, I've decided I'm going to take some money out of my pension because I want to get some solar panels fitted to my house. That is going to bring me a lot of enjoyment. It's going to bring me enjoyment because I feel that I'm doing something for the planet. It also means I'll save a little bit on my energy bills. And obviously that's very important as well. But it's a question of balancing that hope and expectation on how much money I've got, but also making sure that if you've got enough, use it to do something that you will really, really enjoy. So I pick up on a couple of points that you just mentioned, David, that were brilliant. I thought this interview was excellent and I would recommend you listen back to it. I think his ability to describe what financial planning is was really articulate, really articulate. And, and you mentioned, he mentioned a point about it's an ongoing process. Planning is an ongoing process. And I think that feeds into what you were saying, David. It's constantly looking at, you know, what you want to do, have things changed you know all these assumptions that are built into financial planning it's this constantly looking back at it and it's hence why we see each other on a regular basis um, but i also go back to this point about having the confidence to spend your money now and enjoy life now because i don't know how healthy you will be i want to refer to a to an article that was written by a, a friend of the podcast he's he's been mentioned on it before those who've listened before he's the one with the four children that loves dearly but wish he hadn't <laughs> 
<laughs> not so many. Um, but he's also a member of the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing. It's Darren Cook. And he wrote a brilliant article, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, and it was just all about this idea of building this money up for what purpose? Constantly building up some rainy day fund. It gets to a point where that rainy day fund is more than enough and you need to start being encouraged to spend it. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes, definitely worth a read. Um, but yeah, I do a couple of segues there. But yeah, I thought it was an excellent interview. So thanks, Chris, for getting him, getting him booked and on board. That was brilliant. Thanks very much for that, Tomo. Yeah, good observations on a very good interview. And well done, Chris, for getting the nub of all of that stuff from our guest today, Eric Roberge. We hope you enjoyed that. We'll hope you join us next time in another one of our financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. <laughs>